issues, insight, feedback, the Force Podcast on Fuckeye.tv. We'd love to uh, love to welcome um, Dr. Car- Dr. Mike Carson here. You know, uh, we've been as I was speaking earlier, Dr. Carson. This is Frank Camacho here on the other line, and this is uh, myself as well. We're recording for the Force podcast and we are here to discuss with dr mike carson about the uh about pre-colonial tuman but first of all doc could you give us a, a little information about yourself oh yeah i'm an uh, i am currently uh, associate professor of archaeology at mark that's the micronesian area research center at university of guam and my job is about research in archaeology of the Marianas region and and the broader you know Asia Pacific region trying to show what we have to offer to the rest of the world and what the rest of the world has you know to offer to us as, as well uh, in terms of ancient sites archaeology and 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 crossover with ancient history as well now uh, let me just get this window here mm-hmm. with uh all the information that you've gathered as um, an archaeologist and in study, et cetera, and all the information that's, would you say that all, all the information that it's, it's being taught is consistent with and updated with everything that archaeologists on Guam have um, established? That, that, you ask a really good question. I, I can't answer entirely for sure because I don't know what other people are teaching you know, in archaeology and ancient history, but the information is available. Uh, the most updated work, even if you're using things from, say, 2016, 2017, uh, that's, believe it or not, you know, five years ago, uh, it's still updated now or updated enough that everything's consistent but if you're using things older than that then i would say you probably should look for some updates especially in you know some of the parts of of guam as well as in the cnmi uh, but mostly in guam where we have seen so much uh work done in in two respects one is because of military buildup and hotels so we have you know contracting archaeology as part of environmental impact. And the second thing is we, we have been doing you know, a fair amount of purely research archaeology, like academic work of training students or just for the baseline knowledge about how old are the sites, how long have people been living here, what, it, what are the changes through time in the landscape and the kinds of artifacts and the the cave art you know this basic questions that archaeologists want to answer we we have been working on that uh, at the university of guam and, and other universities that that partner with us doing just pure research not not because someone is building a hotel not because the u.s military is making a military base but rather because we want to know the information and share it. So a good amount of research archaeology as well as the like government compliance archaeology has been accumulating more and more every year. And I, I would say that the if, if people want to have the most updated information, then try to look for things within you know the last five to six years 
to, to make sure you, you have the, the best updates. And, and we do offer, you know, update, uh, like a mini, mini course, you know, online once in a while at UOG once or twice per year, just to get everybody back up to speed with what has been happening. And other options are available as well. Yes, that, that last. Through the Northern Mariana uh, Museum and, and other places. Yeah. Um, that so all of these are you think that they're so if somebody with all this information that has been presented since those last five years, um, would you say so these are available at the mark oh, yeah. and at the Guam Museums? You said yes, yeah, yeah, uh, everything is available at mark, and many things are in digital form as well. So you don't need to like sit down and read it in person, you, you can obtain digital copies that you could read at your leisure as well as at uh, uh, Guam Museum that may not have everything because of the way things work in the, in the, the way they sell things at their bookshop, but they, they have the references and people know about them. The Guam Historic Preservation Office is a good place to find resources as well. Uh, the academic books and publications as well as all the technical reports. The same thing in the Northern Marianas and Saipan, as well as in Tinian and Rota, they have their own offices of historic preservation where people can go uh, to ask questions about archeology span and history and to say, I'm interested in this place. Do you have a report about what archeologists have done there? Or is there a publication I could read or learn something? And they will help you uh, with finding those things. The, uh, uh, Nevis Flores uh, Library in, uh, in Hagania also should have most of the archaeology references, although they can be difficult to find in the way the, way the not, not, not any fault of the librarians or anything, just because the, the way things are coded is a little bit difficult. I would suggest to go to Mark at University of Guam to find resources about archaeology and ancient history. Everything is there in hard copy and in digital copy. The librarians and the staff know how to find things for you. You can give a name or a, a, like a title of the document that you want to find, or you simply can say, I'm interested in this place. You know, this area is interesting to me and I, I, I want to learn about the archeology span of that place or a theme, like for example, uh, slingstones. I'm interested in slingstones. Do you have anything about the archaeology of slingstones or the archaeology of cave art or, you know, a topic? Just give them something and then the librarians at Mark will be able to help you. They need some time, but they'll be happy to deliver what they can for you. Yeah, they're, they're super, they're super soldiers over there. I, uh, yep. I was there recently to research, like you said, you know, which brings us uh, closer to the topic at hand, which is a uh, mm -hmm. Tumon, uh, or formerly originally known as Tohum. Uh, when I was there looking for files, I, did, I, I had to, I had, I had to ha uh, have a two-day project and bring in a friend to help, you know, gather and look through and sort this information. So that was really impressive. You know, so I, I think just with all that information being available, you know, and it's great that people are able to dig for it and, and find it there, but you know, like for Tumon in particular, we wanted to, to do the digging and then maybe come up with some information on what, not just what we are finding, but what other people are sorting, people very qualified and experienced people as yourself 
So um, uh, back to Tumon Village, uh, you were saying, um, uh, I, had, I had asked you what you know, we had told you we're building an exhibit on each of two months scheduled uh, from uh, the first or second week of January, and it would go, it would go throughout the latter part of February. So we would love to paint a picture of what ancient Tuman was about. I had uh, reached out to you after attending your really uh, amazing conference that you held. Uh, was that about a month ago or two months ago now? That was that was in no, it was in October. Yeah, October. Yeah. In October yeah. now. Yeah. That the the findings of all of that that's all accumulated. Is that available online as well? Uh, that the like the edited version of that we will yes. that. I just delivered it yesterday to PBS Guam, to Kel Munya, wow. and he said it should be broadcast and available online as well, probably, wow. in, probably in February. So it's not everything we discussed in class, it's most of it, plus a little bit extra. There was some special guests who uh, we just didn't have time you know, to bring them in. So yeah. we did some extra Zoom interviews with them and and brought wow. brought them into the program and then things like uh you may remember patrick luhan presented for yes. the historic preservation office so what i did was i i met with him again just just himself and me online to record again the same information <laughs> and to make it really nice and present it and same thing with uh, miguel bevacqua and then we brought in uh, nicole delisle duenas who was part of that project looking for the Latte that's at the Bishop Museum in Honolulu. So they, we had like a two-part episode with them uh, presenting about that experience, which I, I, I feel is just so special that ev everyone needs to hear that story. Uh, oh, wow, I can't wait. And it's February, that's, that's kind of cool, so, man, because that yeah, transition, so, yeah, that so goes probably, over, that's consistent yeah, so, with the schedule of the exhibit, then yeah, transitioning yeah, so, over to the next one. So. Forgive right. me if the questions cross over because the exhibit that no we, problem. Have, we have planned right. for after the uh, for after our ancient uh, Tumon exhibit would be Lima Nagai Gato said be which is indigenous for 500, which will be what Chamorros did around Gatos. the world to commemorate the 500 years of contact with uh, the That's Spanish right. explorers or European explorers. All right, 1521. Good idea. That's a good idea. Yeah. So yeah. that that so that the videos the videos with PBS Guam will broadcast probably February, and wow. but they will be available in their online presence as well, and that'll be permanent. So anybody worldwide can access any of those videos at any time. So it's uh, it's wow. not like if you miss it, then it's gone. It's like no, no. This is this is meant to be part of the permanent record for people to access. So that information should be, you know, uh, that that's the state of the art, you know, for what we know of archaeology uh, in the region. And I, I would say if people want to learn just just the basics about archaeology in the region, then that that would be a really easy way to introduce. And you were you were in, you were in the group, you know, it, 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 there's nothing difficult about it. It's it's yeah. accessible anyone can understand and participate and make it better right that yeah. have you and other people in the course made it better because you you asked questions you participated you gave examples you know we yes. made, made the information into something that's useful for you so that that that's what made the course successful and i, and you, I you know what 
Yeah, I hope our video series gets part of the, part of that sense coming across. Oh, that was sorry for sorry for interrupting there. No, but yeah, no that was you just got me that because I was thinking back to all of that. Mm -hmm. And I'll tell you, man, I mean, for all the just human interest research that we were we've yeah. been doing over the years, we've learned a lot, but that information mm -hmm. doubled, if not tripled, just from the conversation <laughs> that we had right. in that course. You know, so it's like right. making that right. available instead of keeping them as these private secret That's stories right. that kind That's of right. No, they you, exactly. they shouldn't be whispers. They should be broadcast. Should be, there, should you know? be, I I agree with you one hundred percent. So for your your exhibit for so the ancient tumon, uh, what would you like me to to help like well, to to paint a picture or illustrate of what? Oh, paint happening? a picture. Just talk maybe talk about some of you. I remember you you mentioned that you uh -huh. uh, experienced you did some archaeology in certain yes. parts of Tumon. Yeah. yeah. Was that yeah, the former Daiichi or please? Um, would you be able to uh, not 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 there precisely? I let me let me walk through uh, what I know and and the, and try to fill the gaps with, with other parts. So thank you. They uh, my work like directly in Tumon area was in a few different places. One was what used to be called the Tropicana Hotel and now is called something like the Charter House, I believe, and it's it's near nearby. Um, the Hilton, I believe, and another, or the Hyatt, the, the Hilton. And another project was pretty close to the police stubs, substation. So, you know, Fujita Road and then the police stubs, substation is nearby. And currently on San Vitoris Road on the ocean side of the road, right near the police substation, you'll see like the Burger King and some other places there. Yes. And they have a parking lot that when you're on the road, it looks like it's behind, but it's on the ocean side of, of that, of those, the Burger King. So in that parking lot underneath there, I, I opened a very large excavation back there. Wow. How many? And that was how, about, how large are we? That's about, at the time, was the largest excavation in the Marianas. It was like six by 10 meters. Wow. So yeah, it was big, but I, I've surpassed it now but by other work in Tinian. Well, so how did you even bigger. Um, And so the, these projects were, before I was at UOG, I was, I was a private contractor uh, who, when, when things were being done, like road work, hotels, uh, especially military, I was one of the people who was on the top of the list to, to do the work, you know, to survey an area, identify if sites are present, excavate and recover as much information as possible to, to give the most informative based recommendations of how to proceed. And so these projects I did in Tumon were, were because of that, you know, they're complying with the, the laws. And what's funny about those kind of projects in the private sector is when someone's building a hotel or uh, in this case, like the, the, uh, the shops of the Burger King area, they want to use every square inch of that property they, it, because the, the value for them is the monetary value of using that, that land to, to earn money, you know, trans, translate into a profit. And they don't want to build around any archaeology sites. They want them gone, right? So I was really, you know, let's, it, I, 
not only myself, but a number of archaeologists kind of struggle with, is this really what we should be doing or not? But <clears throat> who, who is making that final call? I mean, so those, I those, those decisions all are made by the Guam Historic Preservation Office, right? Saying, wow. so the, the office consults with the land developer. They should be consulting with the community as part of what goes in, into the decision. And they make a decision that, okay, you need to hire an archaeologist to recover as much information as you can. So in that case, so in, in one of those cases, like the Tropicana Hotel already was there, right? So they were just tearing it down and building up. But I thought, you know, there is some potential, like there's, there could be something there deeper beneath the ground. And the same, the same thing for the Burger King area was like, no, I, I think if we dig deep enough, we'll find some older things. Uh, and in both cases, that, that was true, that the upper surface that's more associated with, um, there was some World War II disturbance, of, of course, as you see that everywhere, uh, as well as some what look like Lati related time period, uh, uh, artifacts, but very disturbed and, and mixed up with, you know, like road fill and other things on, on, on the top. But if, when we dug deep enough, we found the more intact deposits from much, much, much older times. And while I was doing that work, I, you know, I have been studying the change in sea level and the coastal ecology of, of Guam and the Marianas. And I realized that the, the sea level was a little bit higher than today. Uh, back, back, back then, like if you go back a few thousand years, the sea level was a little bit higher than today. Not, not much, like the height of a person, high. Wow, that's actually pretty significant. Sorry. Lost you there, Doc. No, not, not, like, not like these one meter of sea level change is very dramatic. And you could imagine, <clears throat> oops, is the internet okay? Yeah. You could imagine, like currently, people worried about sea level rise, right? If the sea level will rise by one meter, they say, like you know, three point three feet, you will lose about half, half of, of Tumon will be, you know, unusable. That that's how dramatic it is. So in wow. these cases, <clears throat> we're talking about is going back in time and doing this in reverse, saying, okay, how, what did it look like when people first arrived? So the sea level is a little bit higher these archeological deposits that we see on the surface, they, they didn't exist, right? Not, not yet at that time, right? So the, yeah. the, so you adjust for the ground level being a, at a different elevation and the sea level being different and identify where should we be looking for the more, the, the very, very ancient sites. So wow. when people first were living in, in Guam and the Mariana Islands, like more than 3000 years ago, <clears throat> excuse me, then most of Tumon would have been under, uh, under the water of, of the lagoon at that time. And the dry land would have been very, very close to the base of the limestone cliff that's all the way back, the back of Tumon. <clears throat> and then about 2,000 years ago, sea level no, had gotten not, not to where it is today, but fairly stable. So uh, around the area of uh, San Vittorio's you know, road, about 2000 years ago. And some little pockets on the two ends of Tumon. So like the, the Ipau area would have had some stable back beach around there. 
and then the the other far end like the net like the Naton beach area where we, they found like so many ancient burials so those two ends would have had some high stable ground where people could live and the middle part of Tumon about 2000 years ago would have been like uh, not the best place to live but it's usable and what I found in the 2000 year old layers <clears throat> uh, in those places I mentioned so beneath the old Tropicana Hotel which is now the Charter House and then beneath the area that is now the Burger King parking lot <laughs> beneath those areas found that yes indeed this that was the beach beach surface at uh, 2000 years ago wow. and found uh that people did not necessarily have like houses there it wasn't the best place to live but it's a usable surface and found uh at the burger king area uh what they call the at the time we called the baba tumon commercial center i believe is what we called it at that time was uh, <clears throat> a, a concentration of like cooking hearths. Like, and so these are like, you, you heat the rock, so the rock becomes hot and, and yes. that ra radiates the heat to cook things. You know, and in the olden days would have been you know, pottery bowls that are, are being heated underneath. And everything was in just superb condition. You could see exactly how people arrange the heated rocks to you know, around the broken, the pottery is broken now, but, it, wow. you know, it, uh, the, but you can see where it was, you know, the, the when you were first everything. examining the site. <clears throat> hmm. Wow. Yeah. So, so like when, uh, if I remember, this is very deep beneath the ground, right. And beneath at, even at that time, it, it had been paved, you know, it had been paved over with asphalt. So we ripped through all of that, removed the road fill that was uh, in place and kept digging deeper you know, until we found it. And that's, that's where it was. And that's why I opened this very, very large area to see, can we find any patterns in these, you know, where people were making these hearts? And they're just all over the place. Uh, so it's very instructive that even though this isn't like a, a house, right? Like where someone had a, a, like a village, it still was a place that people at 2000 years ago were, were using uh, regularly for, for, yeah. whatever, for whatever it was, right? So we, we could speculate, was it you know, the beach barbecue area? Was it something more formalized than that? Was it a, a staging area for, for fishing uh, expeditions or something? You know, there's many different ideas of what it could be. But because of opening such a large excavation area, we're able to define the like the pottery and artifacts of that time period you can you can think about what do we know about the big picture of archaeology of guam and the marianas and we know so much about the Ladi period and we also know quite a bit about the earliest period like the 3500 plus years ago time period but what i'm talking about here is is 2000 years ago so it's between you know it's in the middle you never hear about that too often right so it was important to document what that was. So, and yeah, go ahead, go ahead. Yeah. What, were you, what were you able to conclude from that 
that's that study of so many yeah. artifacts and yeah so so that study there was there's two things one is confirming about how the beach was formed you know through time that there's these different stages of where where people were living through time yes right so it's not just one place and people live there forever no it's a, think, things were changing the, the the coast and the coastal ecology even the reef that we see now is not the same reef, coral reef that people back then you know had known so understanding that yeah this really has changed and we need to have a larger view of uh, how the archaeology components uh, have have taken shape let's say over thousands of years that it's not just oh i see a laddie here therefore whatever i find beneath it is is that that's it right that that's what we have that's what archaeologists have been doing in the past saying oh i found a laddie here and i dug beneath it and i didn't find anything older so there's nothing older than that and the reason is because the coastline has changed so much so if we understand that we need to look in different places and dig deeper then we start to learn the picture of not not just finding artifacts of those periods but learning how the environment has changed that you know, the, the coast changed, the sea level changed, the ecology, the habitats where people lived, all have changed through time. And people, of course, adjusted with what happened. So the Tumon work was very instructive in that sense. Uh, and, and the second thing we learned from it was being able to define, uh, especially the, the pottery artifacts of that period were, were so abundant. So these are the very large uh, pieces uh, that are, are flat on the bottom. They're shallow on the sides, made of you know traditional earthenware, and the bottoms of them shaped, and you need to let it dry for a while, right? It to be thoroughly dry before you uh, fire it. So during that stage of the drying, they were set down onto these plated mats, and the plated mat impression becomes stuck on the underside of wow. these pots. And you can see uh, very clearly the, the plated mat, you know, uh, style and like the, the form of how it was done. It's just, just spectacular. You, you see that in a number of places around the world, actually. It's, it's something that, you know, people, you know, uh, discovered independently in different parts of the world, but it's very distinctive in the Marianas region. And for that particular time period around 2000 years ago it, it that tradition lasted for a few hundred years but it's like between like the oldest of those are maybe 500 bc through ad 500 so it's like during that that that's like the broadest perspective it's actually a little tighter than that i, I believe but we, we need to do a little more work refining that chronology so this is like a very distinctive thing about our our region you know, in the marianas is this this type of pottery and what, why do people make it that shape? Why was it so shallow on the side and flat on the bottom? People have suggested uh, grilling or griddling things in it. We did find starch residues inside. And uh, those related, so starch could be any kind of starch, right? Uh, but yeah. most likely, most likely from uh, breadfruit. And there also were some phytoliths, which is a, a kind of preserved plant remain. Uh, from phytoliths from bananas as well were in there. So it seems like uh, 
plant plant foods, which kind of surprised me. I, I was expecting maybe uh, fish or something in there, but no, this was this was mostly starch that was found uh, inside wow, the burn, 2000 the years residue. Ago. Yeah. So that that was very instructive and and interesting <laughs> to learn about that. And, and that's directly in in Tumon. You could you could be very specific about the place and, and the time range on it as well. Now looking at those uh, those plates with the women with the with the weave uh, evident in the in in the big between, do you think that those did they look like it was like artful, intentional, or was that just circumstance of sitting on a oh. decaying, a rotting? Okay. Uh, well, that I, 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 I thought of that same question myself. So I, it's difficult to say. I can tell you this part though. Uh, the potters knew how to wipe wipe away those impressions if they wanted to remove them, right? So yes. there's different techniques of making pottery, like, like a paddle and anvil where you paddle one side and it makes these marks, but usually those marks were removed. It's the same logic, usually, sometimes people left the paddle marks because they, they look nice, right, on the outside and they add a little bit of texture. The same logic applies to these matted impressions on the bottom that if people wanted to smooth it over to remove it, then they would have done so. And if they wanted to avoid having them there in the first place, then they would have dried them uh, in some other fashion. So I believe it was intentional. Additionally, because we find it, not, it's not just in this one site, I mean, the, this type of pottery is found in, in other places as well around Guam and in, and in uh, Tinian and, and Saipan, I believe in Rota, but I, I, I would need to check about Rota. And, and not always, but often with the matte impressions on the bottom. So given that people in different communities and even different islands are following this same, like, I don't know what you call like uh, artistic model or, or, or system and repeating it, then I would believe it was intentional. Uh, it, it, like that kind of you know, output uh, for it to happen multiple times in different places and, and within, the same, within the same time range, right? so it's all within this range and then, and then, and then stops at the same time. Then it wow. means this is this is something shared uh, among yes. the communities at that time. What was the purpose? I can't really tell you, but it's very interesting uh, that th these things exist, and it's not and it's not so obvious like a decoration, like an incised you know design on the top where everyone can see it. Right? That that yeah. that that is very clearly an artistic you know tradition you know in the, in the classical sense. This like the matte impressions on the bottom where you might not see it, uh, at least not obviously, is a little bit different, and it it implies something a little extra that it the the mean whatever was the meaning was not necessary for people to see right away, like on the like on the top where where like usually a decoration is on the top like facing up or outwards. Yes. And so that that is meant to be seen and identified immediately. And that, that that is a different kind of artistic tradition. So an artistic tradition that's hidden on the bottom where people aren't going to see it right away, 
it, it means something else. Yeah, uh, and it showcases a, a different level of thinking besides it, functionality. Exactly. Exactly. I mean, yeah. artful, but it's, it's, it's self-identification at some point, you know. So that's we're right. yeah. thinking if that's, that's how right. we they, they want to go and distinguish themselves. So this whole opinion of them living in the past and being uncivilized and just really basic lives. No, you, you consider if they're doing stuff like that and staring at stars at the same time and they're given with an even cleaner atmosphere than we're given right now, you know, then it really shows, uh, I mean, I would love to, it, it, it'd be a much more fascinating story to teach in school. You would get kids more interested in that in school, you know, if it was just, um, yeah, I, I agree with you totally that we, uh, in, in local schools in Guam and Rota, Tinian in Saipan, we should be using local examples uh, to teach about, and it's great about too. things. Yeah. Now, are any of these artifacts that you've dug up, are they accumulated and pre present, uh, presented at any location right now? Uh, right now, those that I mentioned, because they're from contracting projects, right? So those are at, at Mark in, in our storage, and wow. they, will, they will move over to the new Guam Culture Repository as soon as they will be ready uh, for it. Uh, the wow. repos now, would there the repository is is open and functioning now. Uh, so, yeah. now would that would, would there be any process available if we wanted to showcase that uh, mm -hmm. those uh, maybe some of those artifacts at this exhibit? Mm -hmm. Is there a protocol there where you might be able to follow? Uh, yeah, yeah, we do have a temporary loan agreement where we can send things out and we, we just need to have some assurances about <laughs> okay yeah for sure see got one right there <laughs> but uh but yes that, that'd be exciting you know the the location is actually it's interesting because That'll the location be is really close to that area back. okay okay yeah so, so um, yeah yeah let me let me know what Give me the, the details. We'll see, we'll see if we can. It is complicated to, to, do, <laughs> to do it, but, but it can be done. So let, let me know the details of, of when, when and where and, and you know, okay. the purpose like say, that. I'll, I'll see what I could do on my side. And I'll re-email it to you, but we already have a good idea. I'm thinking like January 15th <laughs> through February 28th, uh, okay. through March 2nd. Oh, Ooh, March no, 2nd. actually. January 15th through April 22nd would be great because okay. not only because of course we're doing an, uh, we're, our, that exhibit is, is uh, helping there to showcase, you know, some of these artifacts from Tumon. We have a good collection, a uh, decent collection of artifacts from okay. Tumon too that are going to be, that are going to be present there. We actually have a, so I work at the Fukai shop and inside the shop, I don't know if you've been there in Tumon. It's got, uh, we have artifacts, an open touch and feel artifact museum, you know, we invite people to come and put your hands on these, you know, like, nice. I, I always wonder why you can't put it, I mean, like you think that by rubbing it so many times you're going to rot, you know, are you going to rot a stone here, you're going to decay a stone, I don't think so, you know, like, but yeah, anyways, so, we have those yeah. collections available and I'm really interested now. Oh. by any chance, did you happen to work, you know, or the, okay, so Fujita Road, your on the other side of Fujita Road, where mm -hmm. the Fujita Hotel used to be at, mm -hmm. did you do, are you aware of any of the archaeological reports from there? Or did you happen to do any? Yeah, kind of I, 
I personally did not. So most of that work would have been back in the 1980s. So the, the, the key report from that time is a major like overview of Tumon archaeology, I believe 1985 is the date. And wow. that was by two people whose names you might know. Uh, one is Michael Graves, the other is Darlene Moore. And wow. the two of them made this major effort of synthesizing everything known about the Tumon area uh, as, wow. as, of 19, as of 1985. It's it wow. totally different now, but it's a classic document that people need to read. The other one from that era, also the 1980s, and I can't remember the exact year right now, but was by Joyce Bath, like taking a bath is her name, Joyce Bath in the 1980s about the uh, Pali San Vittorio's road improvement project. She did so many excavations all over uh, the place, very interesting findings. Uh, so those two things would be where to look. So if you, and you'll have some trouble correlating their maps from the 1980s with what we know now of how things are, are uh, distributed with the roads and so on. But uh, the Fujita uh, hotel area is, is one of those areas that, that uh, would be included in, in those two documents. Uh, so those are the two like classics of archaeology of the Tumon area. Wow. So there's there's oh, the, the great Michael Graves and Darlene Moore, 1985. Uh, and then the second one is Joyce Bath. I can't remember the exact year uh, in the night, but also in the 1980s for Pali San Vittorio's road improvement project. So those two things together give you a really good sense of what was known at that at that time in the 1980s. And then we can just build on that, you know, adding more of what we know now. So wow, that's, that's fantastic, man. I can't thank you enough. Those are the perfect leads. You know, you, you've just killed like several yeah, days of yeah. research there <laughs> just for that yeah. one. Now, is that is that document available at the mark? Yes, yes, bo both of those are at mark. I know that for a fact. And they also are, are digital as well at, at mark. And if you, have to, if you have trouble finding them, then just, contact me and I probably have my own PDF copies of them somewhere that I can, I can find for you. And yeah, we'll make, make sure you get them in, into your hands. There's nothing secret about these things. You know, they are, the work was done for the public knowledge and public benefit. And the only sensitivities are about uh, burials that need to be protected and, and respected, uh, obviously. Uh, so those parts are a little sensitive. And the second issue is about we need to protect the, the sites and the resources from people who might be loot, looting the sites. Or, you know, you know or unfortunately, and, you know, a yeah. lot of those people are, yeah. in their sense, they're, they, they, they feel that they're doing that. Uh, they by feel they're, protect, they're protecting the site. Yeah. They're, you know, they, they feel that they're preserving they're yep. preserving uh, mm -hmm. artifacts. But the thing right. is, I, and I understand this, and I've learned to understand this because, you know, I, I kind of can, I can appreciate that perspective, but when you look at the story, oh. not as the artifacts tell on their own, but and, and together with other artifacts in the place that they were located in that larger story, figuring out that larger story, that's why it's so key to give these, to, to make these uh, artifacts present and 
build it through the official funnel that has the most power of sharing this information, right? But, but exactly, exactly. Yeah, yeah, you got it. I agree. But 100%. do you feel yep. if, if, if you're considering what could be done, what you feel just in your years of research, what could be done at 100%, what do you believe this machine is, is, is pushing through right now? Because I know it's very challenging here. I was at the HPO, they're very understaffed. They have a mountains and yeah. mountains of documents. You know, we yeah. have the idea that we go in there and we can ask requests for something. We think that just because we see four people in the room, we yeah. think that they're sitting on their desk <laughs> and just look at them. They're no, there. They're, they're, they're compiled they're with so much information. So, you know, like they, they are overloaded with work all the time. Uh, I would say if you want to access the reports and information, then come, come to Mark, come to our library and sit down like i said those two those two reports in the 1980s are probably the best way to start for the tumon area wow and fantastic they, they they are outdated yeah you so just realize that you're looking at things that at the time was like that was it right that's everything up to the that point in time and then you just build on it so that's that's like the logical way to to approach it you know that that's the so you sort of understand like when we make these new findings, like I mentioned about the, the, the pottery of that time period or like the Nathon beach area, why was it so important to find all those burials at that site? Didn't we know about burials all over the place, you know, since so ever since, you know, we, we, everybody knew about this. Why made that so special? When you look at it in, in that order, like starting with the 1980s reports and then coming forward, then you then you start to understand. Oh, that's why this project was different. You know, that's why they learned something a little different at that time you know, that we didn't know before. So it's, it's like you feel like you're you know, part of the you know exploration and learning process about it. So I, I highly recommend it, and yeah, I'd, I'd be happy to help. You know, if you meet meet any resistance or delays. And just let me know. I can I can help out. But our, our librarians are the best you know, at Mark. They 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 know what they're doing. And yeah, um, I, I, I I should comment about um, just generally about um, artistic expression in in that we see in archaeology. It goes all the way back to the beginning. You know the the oldest sites that are like fifteen hundred BC, maybe even older, have some of the most amazing. <laughs> you know, admirable artworks uh, in them. And this includes not only decorated pottery that is beautiful, but also the, the shell ornaments, uh, uh, beads and inlays and uh, rings and bands and uh, pendants and all kinds of things, as well as some of the stone and shell like tools, like we usually call it an ads. You're familiar with these things. Um, yes. They don't. They don't need to be beautifully polished and 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 stunning, but they are. You know, they they're like some of the the oldest uh, artifacts are. Uh, some of them, yes, are made of the tridacna, the, the hema shell, the giant clam that are really beautiful. But others are made of a chert, which is not something you expect for an ads and it is uh, very, very high quality, like 90% uh, plus made of uh, silica. So it's very, just beautiful material. The only thing sharper 
than that, like for a cutting edge, would be volcanic glass or, or obsidian. That does not exist in our region, in, in the well, Marianas. Have so, you? These are beautiful. Yeah, so that's right from the beginning. Uh, people are making these things that are not just basic fundamental survival of, of, of human beings in, in a remote island setting. So it's not like that. I mean, these, these people, uh, of course, there was a tough life, I mean, obviously, uh, but they, they still felt that their artistic expression was equally important to them. Uh, so you have that right from the beginning. And it's, so it's the, the pottery, the, um, the shell ornaments, even things that we think are usually technical or practical, like stone tools are made in a very beautiful way uh, sometimes. And, and rock art in caves seems to go back that old as well. So people have a much broader spectrum in their lives than, than we tend to think they did. You know, so they were not just surviving. They, yes, were they were really thriving in, 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 an artistic, in an artistic sense of their lives. So I, I think that is something, uh, maybe that message needs, needs to be emphasized a little bit more. That, that's not something mm, we hear about too often. So, and, and then of course things change, you know, styles and expressions change through time. The things that people do for their art that are popular at one time period are, are not not popular forever, right? Things, things need to change and develop and, and people experiment and develop different ideas and, and, and preferences. So we see that through time in the archeological record that like a certain type of, of shell ornament or a certain type of decorated pottery lasts for a few hundred years and then it, it declines in its popularity while something else gains in its popularity so they overlap and something else becomes popular and then a few hundred years later it happens again that you know there's this this continual change and so we we can look at it in that long-term perspective as an archaeologist i like these things because when i find one artifact uh, of this artistic quality then i can be fairly sure of the time period where it was i can say oh that's the the decorative style from 3,000 years ago, that's the decorative style from 2,000 years ago or 1,000 years ago. I can be very clear about the, the association and the context, but it has much more meaning beyond that in, in terms of people understanding how did Chamorro artwork develop through time? Like what the things that we know most, like from, from the Latte period uh, are really spectacular, some of them. And how did that develop through time? Was there like an older prototype that was a little bit different? You know, and how, how did things change? Was it because of uh, people having a new, new technology that they applied uh, to the situation? Or was it really just you know, artistic preferences uh, that changed? So th those are questions we can't really answer 100%, but we can provide the information to show people that, yeah, the, the, the cultural world was diverse and, and dynamic. And uh, just, as, just like today, people have different ways of expressing their art. And people, when they look at artwork, have different impressions of it, right? So you could imagine the same thing in the, in the, in the past. And so these artifacts are a way of like, sort of just opening uh, a view uh, into uh, what was happening. And then we can uh, 
you know, try to understand, you know, what, what, are, what are they trying to tell us? What are these artifacts or the people who made these artifacts from thousands of years ago trying to communicate to us? And it, it's difficult because, you know, they're not alive to tell us, but we can try to get into that mindset and come, come to different understandings and interpretations. No, but and, and but that that's what comes down to the the line of work that you guys are involved in is so is is that important because not everybody's ready to go out there and when they find an artifact they're not ready to do their homework and then really figure out what that artifact is they think it's a they think it's just a momentary uh, a momentary like a little a nice little visit for the ancestor or from the ancestor you know like a lot of people when they when they recover this. People have that notion, myself included, feeling that they're blessed. It almost feels like it's a gift from the afterlife because, hey, it's one thing if you're if you're digging through a laddie site, uh, an, ar uh, an archaeological site, and and then yes, you find something there. Okay, maybe you can consider that a blessing. But if you're sitting on the shoreline, you know, if you're sitting on the shoreline, and this happened to a friend one day. There's this, this guy's not even tomorrow, but he he uh, he was in Tumon Bay. You know, sorry to kind of dissect here, but. Um, this guy was sitting in Tumon Bay and he'd been taking care of tomorrows in California. He's a big, he's a big popular DJ, but he's super hospitable to tomorrows in California all these years. And it's first trip to Guam. This is even before I had been blessed with my first sling stone. This guy was sitting on the beach in Guam, breathing in the air, taking in the wind. The water rolls up and a sling stone rolls right into his palm, directly into his palm. And this wasn't just a, this wasn't just a sling stone. This was a sling stone with like spiral, you know, you know, you know how stone decays yeah. or whatever, but it was hurtful. <laughs> and I said, how could this, <laughs> this guy, he's how here could for that, How days. could that happen? <laughs> he's here for three days, but he was really taking it in. Yeah. That's but, awesome. you know, the, those kind of things happen. Now, I don't think, I, now I think that's kind of like a... Yeah, sometimes you... Uh, I, I hear this similar stories from so many people of like, how could, how is this possible? It's like it wanted to be found, you know? And so then it's like, okay, well now you have a responsibility uh, with this object, right? So what, what, what is that responsibility? It, right? what, what are you going to do with about it? You know, exactly. And, and that's why it's important. And now there's what's great is because I know I didn't take such an aggressive interest towards artifacts until mm -hmm. I'd say only within like the last, you know, I've always had a fascination with sling stones and I've had an admiration for it, but it was always something that I kind of admired in the sky rather than something that I admired in my, you know, st started to learn how to admire in my own hands. You know, mm -hmm. so you start to look at these things and you feel them. And now just being involved with Oxumarianas, which is a stone slinging organization, having, being able to sling. Now, every time you feel a sling stone or you look at a sling stone, or you look at a collection of sling stones, or you look at a, a presentation, a YouTube presentation on Tomorrow Artifacts and Stones. <laughs> yeah. You did an incredible, you know, I got to oh, say you did a really I, incredible I, job I, with I, that one. I, I want to I ask you, any chance I can video you with a demonstration? Absolutely. Absolutely. I would, we would love to. We'd when, love to. when is a good day? When is a good day for you? Um, I will <laughs> be back on island. You know what? Any day is a good day, but if you really, if, you, if, you, if you're going to see a demonstration, then you might as well come up to, uh, we, we've been having weekly gatherings since okay. 2017 to Sling Wednesdays. Are you familiar with the Sovereign Couture and Chamorro? No, no. Where, where is so it? So it's the Sovereign Couture and Chamorro uh, 
cultural center right above oh the cultural the, center right at, at, on the on the the top right uh, yes, above right there above the Tumon over there yes 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 so wednesdays we gather we gather from you know depending on the day it's ifs and goes cool. sometimes it starts at five sometimes it starts cool. at six sometimes it ends at seven nice. sometimes nice. it ends at two o'clock in the morning you know but it's a really but yes, if uh, next Wednesday would be fantastic. I should be attending next uh, next Wednesday, and would love to uh, show you what we have going on there. And awesome. And maybe even get like uh, have you know maybe get your ideas. Have you done any archaeological work on that area, or know of any archaeological in, in work that area? specific area? No, no, not not there. I'm very interested in it. I just I've actually I. We're going to need to do this another time. I, I, I will actually be on a flight leaving Guam on, on, on Wednesday morning. Oh, so uh, okay. Well, tell you have, what, you know, you we're going to have to wait. We're going to have to wait. I have oh, yeah. a range right, right there behind oh, yeah. the shop in two oh, yeah. Really? So we have a small private range there. Well, you can come I through think. there and then maybe it'll be close to that area. I mean, not I it, it's a little bit separate from where your archaeological dig was, but yeah, maybe yeah, the ancestors yeah. are calling you back to Tumon. Yeah, well, we'll we'll set it up. We'll 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 find a good way to do it. Uh, no, no. Yeah, I, yeah. I I I'd be really. I was thinking, the the slingstone. I I should update the slingstone video, and it's like the thing that's missing is I need to need to see how it's done. You know, you're yeah, you're, the, you, you're the you're the you're the man. You know, it's like well, you did it. So no, uh, no. I, I I I was part of a group that worked towards it. And, you know, honestly, this work started a long, long time ago, you know, like way before us. I think uh, there, was a, there was a video of uh, Al Lazama that was circulating around in the 1980s, mm -hmm. you know, and, and, you know, we see that video and then we see all these people holding their private collections, doing all of that. And, you know, in, in, in like I'd started slinging, I'd say around 2008, 2009. But when we were looking for slingers back then, it was like, really, we only found like, we only found like less than five, you know, and I'd really? say, yeah, yeah, well, and, you know, maybe because we look, we weren't looking hard enough, but we didn't see yeah. anybody. There was no real sling stone action going on. It was just, yes, yeah. I know how to sling. Yes, I have a sling or whatever. And those were still few and far in between. But right now, I don't know if you've you've seen the the, the amount of slingers Guam has right now. I'd say there are got to be there's got to be a, at least five hundred people that that are capable of slinging proficiently you know That's proficiently amazing. and I, I gotta say there's gotta be at least maybe a hundred active slingers and then you know you have you people you have you have your folks that are slinging for because this is fun let me just do it on the beach or whatever but then we actually even have sports slinging which has been around since nice. 2017 okay. so um nice yes well, it'd be great um, let's so so when so every wednesday people meet it's like uh, how many people usually? Uh, Sling Wednesdays, you know, and that has tapered down. That has gone. That number has been as low as two and as high as, boy, as high as I'd say about like 40 slingers rallying wow. together. Wow. And then it would, it, it all started out as a, uh, we've gone to, I've been, we were a bunch of avid slingers. And then we, in 2017, we had heard of a international tournament in Mallorca. We heard right, about right. it in January, right. so we in said, Spain, okay, yeah. so we went out to Mallorca in uh, nice. 2017. You know, there was uh, two of us. Uh, we didn't do so well, but then we took the we we it was uh, we took a uh, we took the rules that they had with slinging and said, hey, this is a great platform for sharing slinging. 
slinging through sport. It and you know, from what we've is. gathered in uh, just reading through some uh, old uh, documents, you know, mm -hmm. there were documents talking about competitive slinging back in the day. You know, sling gatherings yep. and tomorrow yep. gestures and you know all those kind of things. So I said, okay, let's go bring it back as sport, and then that was able to that kind of yep. provided. I, I think that's awesome. It gives you the the like the framework, right, and the the way exact to go. Exact framework go is right. framework is a word. Now it's had its ups and downs, but the framework yeah. has has definitely brought us far. You know, there's not now nice. there's there's great uh, there's great faith in it. You know, and of course these nights get slow, but it's you know there's there's good leadership and very and everybody's like kind of like culturally woven. You know, the the, the folks that are involved there right mm -hmm. now, they're mm -hmm. really not just about just uh, about sharing slinging. It's about like sharing slinging kind of like and, and helping tie other aspects of culture together. Mm -hmm. Some of these tournaments, there's been, there have been, I'd say, I'd say there've been about like at least 10 tournaments in the last few years. There've really? been probably like really? 30 or 30 or so competitions, possibly, well, you know, there was a sling season in 2021, a 12 week sling season that was participated with Guam and Ireland. So there was a Chamorro who was ignited by the Slingstone story here on Guam. He moved, he, he moved out to Ireland. And then, uh, you know, I was a part of a group where we ran a workshop out there and then he was able to launch. He got, he got about, at one point he had 16 Slingers and he's, and it's, it's very interesting is because, uh, because Ireland, their, their war God, Lug, his weapon oh, was a sling. Yeah. Yeah, you know, the, of the, the long, the long hand is his nickname. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so he, because yeah, so that, his yeah. weapon was a sling. So it's like being yeah. able to, and I'll tell you, well, in 2018, we had heard where we caught word of where the stomping grounds were for this war god, you know, like look. So on our way to, on our way to Mallorca, it was a, a, a group of uh, Guam five, uh, five Guam guys. And we got to sling in his, in, in those territories. Oh, really? That, that's amazing. That, oh that man, is, it was great. Amazing. Have you been to Ireland? Uh, yes, I, I worked there in uh, I lived there for a little while. Uh, Whoa, it or not, no way! Um, in in uh, Galway, and um, this is before I I wasn't sure if I wanted to be an archaeologist. I was interested in being a filmmaker, and I was interested in ethnomusicology. I was interested in paleoecology, and someone told me, you know what? If you're interested in all of those things. You should go to Ireland because over there, people like as musicians, like in their song, have so many ancient histories, like, like what you mentioned of uh, Luke, Luke Lanfadja means the Luke of the long hand, right? So he had wow. many talents. One of those talents was throwing, throwing stones, like the sling stone, right? Wow, uh, so like if you, know if, you know the, if you know the songs and the folklore and the stories, then there's this extra layer that goes into learning about how the landscape has changed and and archaeology and other things so i studied i, I just moved there and, and started studying for a couple of years wow, <laughs> and then decided great. and i decided yeah i really want to do archaeology this is what i want to do and wow. because of that background uh many of the things that i do now you know working in not not only in in the Marianas, but like working i've worked like throughout the asia pacific region uh, I bring that experience with me saying, yeah, there's so much you can learn just by talking with people, learning their stories today that have elements, there's like these little elements in the songs that people sing, 
the uh, stories they tell or the ways they make their food. And like the things you wouldn't expect at first that have these little elements that go way back in time. And if you just, you know, open yourself up and listen to what people are, are telling you, then you, you, you start to understand a little better. So I, I'm still working on it. You know, I, I don't, I'm still learning. And uh, sling stones, I feel, is one of those things that uh, seeing it in action, seeing how people do it, and uh, there must be things in the Chamorro language that relate with the actions uh, of slinging uh, that come out. Right. So I, I just, I just love to see see people doing it and learn learn more about what what that means. Uh, so uh, one of these days we'll figure it out. Uh, will you will you have a slinging uh, competition or demonstration as part of your exhibit? Yeah, uh, you, you, uh, yeah, yeah. We're definitely going to have a competition. We're actually okay. thinking of, we're thinking of having a mini season. Okay. So let me let me just uh, when when you do that, just let me know if I can if I can be part of uh, learning what you're doing and maybe maybe work on a video that that we can do. Oh uh, heck yes, it. man, man, dog. Then, that'd be that that so would be great. When, would so be... when the when the time comes for it, I mean that that's the way to do it, right? Is uh make it part of the event. So well, so you know, the way you know, the way we figure it out, the time is always now, you know, always. If, whether, it's, <laughs> whether it's before, during, or after, you know what I mean? But there, there's that opening and be great, you know, it, it'd be uh it'd be good because you know, right now, I mean, I think our, our doing our our motivation for doing this Tumon exhibit isn't just be isn't because we know the most about Tumon, but our 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 motivation for Doing this about two months, we feel that it, it's a story that needs to be be told and 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 excited. You know, if you look at if you look at um, you know, tourism. I mean, it, of course, this is primarily for the locals. I think it's important that when the locals come down, or it, it's it, it's important that when people think of Tuman, instead of just embracing it as a place that the, it's only touristic Guam, people need to understand. I think it's very it, it, no, it's no, very no. significant that people has, understand and know this has. Tumon has a much much older history uh, that relates with the, the natural history of, of Guam as well as the cultural history together. And I think that's a, a really good story to tell. So it, and it depends on what time period you're interested, you know, is interesting to you. It, it looked different 3,000 years ago, and then it looked different again 2,000 years ago, <laughs> and then it looked different now. So these different stages of development uh, of, of what the place looked like. And, and for each one of those time periods, you can talk about what were people doing? Where, where did they live? How did they relate with the environment around them? How did they relate with each other? What kinds of artworks were they producing? What, you know, what, what did their houses look like? You know, was there, and we also see changes in the foods, right? The food preferences. Of, you know, mostly shellfish, but different kinds of shellfish depending on the time period. So it's, there's so much, so much to, uh, you know, just to to present as well as for people to uh, just uh, sort of absorb, you know, the information and find what's interesting to them, right? So some people will be interested in sling stones. Other people will be interested in in fish bones and shellfish. Other people will be interested in, in pottery, right? So it, it just depends on, on what it is. And, you know, as long as the information is accurate and available, then, then people can run with it, you know. And, and that's what we want to do. We want to keep that accurate because, 
right? Yeah. As much as we're, we're saddened that the story of Tuman is never told, or is that even if that the story of Tuman isn't told accurately, you know, like, and I don't, I don't know on the, on the, on the touristic side of it, outside of the, the cultural significance that it has for anybody who stays here on the touristic side of it, I think it could be really exciting for tourism. I mean, I, if, he, if, if you, so. if they could somehow iconicize <laughs> yeah. this old ancient village around Tumon and embrace instead of hide from the information that, hey, this is, this is below where you live in this area here, or, and at least give some dignity, more dignity to the monuments that are existing right now. You know, that, that, that yeah. monument yes, that exists for the Hyatt Regency, it's just, I, I yeah. it's, I mean, I don't want to put them on blast, but it's, it's an atrocity. It's it's not it, it could be better, right? It's like oh, oh. it's the size of a bucket. And even like, the size oh, of a bucket, on. it's stone and whatever you can see how it's neglected. Not only is it is it is it insultingly tiny, but it's got molasses, it's got it's got algae growing all over it. And you're seeing yeah, no, that the area no. around it is water blasted. They're not even they're not even taking they're mowing the lawn and they think it's done. You can't even read the information that's on the on the plaque. And there's a chip in the there there there's a there's a nice little crack on a plastic cover that they could easily replace. Nobody's paying attention to that, and nobody's giving them pressure to at least give this kind of dignity. And nobody's even trying to. I and I don't know why they need to be, because I think if they built like a really nice, I mean, just being a tourist, I've been a tourist everywhere. But if you build an if they were to build an impressive monument, you know, exactly. right there yeah. and then yep. really center around. And, and embrace it, then people would make that like some kind of a pilgrimage and telling this story. Now, how do you make them do that? Of course, they're concerned it's going to be expensive. But hey, no, how they, about if, if, if we could share in this, if, if the powers that be could share in the significance of that project and say, hey, we'll give you some kind of a tax break or whatever that might help lubricate this decision and make it proper, you know, like instead yeah, of everybody focusing on what's it going to cost, how much is it going to cost and say, we, we need to get it yeah. done. What can we do? Yeah, from, from the land developer's standpoint, they're saying we need to use every square inch of this land, even if it's a parking, even if it's a parking lot, we need to use it because that's money. No, we don't we don't want to lose a, a square foot here or, or two square yeah. feet. That's too much. We can't do that. And oh, we don't want a monument that people can see because then it's going to attract you know, negative attention for us. We don't want people to feel like this is a, a burial ground that may have you know, ghosts or spirits, you know, we, we don't want that. So it's like, well, if you don't want that responsibility, then you shouldn't have built it in the first there place. There you go. But, well said, and you can't further but, insult them by pretending that I they mean, don't exist. I, it's, it's the, the, same, the same thing applies to all of us, right? If you, you build your house somewhere and you find that this was a place where people were buried, long ago it's like whoa i'm not going to build my house there anymore <laughs> sorry yeah. about that and then you you find something you find a way around it right that that's what normal people do so it so why why should it be different for if it just because it's a military operation or because it's a hotel development I and mean, what what is the difference there so if these things can be built into the permitting process in a way that uh, the, the financial part is not really an issue. Like for example, historic preservation offices, no, you need to reserve not just, you know, two square feet, you need to have 
you know, a real area where people can access and visit and have uh, a, a real public engagement on a regular basis and events that happen here. And then they say, well, then I'm losing, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars of revenue and say, well, then uh, add that into your, your bank loan, right? Uh, make that part of part of how you how you manage your finance so right now nobody can get a bank loan uh for for doing archaeology work at, as part of their building permit it's like they're told to do it and then it's just an extra cost they need to pay there's no way of recovering it so if it, it can be brought into the into the system at, at a really early stage uh yeah. where where people can can recover the, the financial part then i i think it would it would go more in the direction that you're mentioning that yeah just make it into something nice you know make don't 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 be shy and try to push it aside just make it into something that is important for the community and then it will speak for itself the alternative is things like you know a little a little corner in the side of the parking lot that nobody cares about it and, and nobody you know notice and and when when you do notice it then you just feel embarrassed you know that this is what happened and so why why go that road why why create the opportunity to to feel embarrassed about what you did just just do it right the first time but anyway, that that's my perspective not everyone agrees with me but uh, <laughs> no, right on, and that's why you're a scientist you know what i mean that's why you're a yeah. doctor and that's why it's important yeah. to have that type of uh but, that type of and and, and like i said it that yeah, it, it, it applies to me too. You know, it applies to everybody. So like, you know, if, if I, if I'm building a house or I'm, you know, <laughs> if I'm a real estate developer for some reason, then of course I would need to follow the same rules. And, and of course we, most of us, most would, and we would want to do that. Wouldn't we? What's that? No, we, sorry, we lost you there for okay. a moment there. Oh, okay. Sorry about that. I was just saying, it's difficult for me to imagine the mindset of people who who just want to push the archaeology aside, especially burial sites that, that oh, we don't we just want to get rid of that. You know, it's like, why, why, why would anybody think that way? And I was struggling also like with um, the presentation in our, in our class with uh, Miguel uh, Bivaku was talking about the Hornbostel collection and how they removed the laddie. <laughs> from Guam and brought it to the Bishop Museum and the the, the, the pictograph was removed from Talofofo and all that and the, the paying like uh, telling children give give me uh sling stones and adzes and I'll give you a movie ticket did you <laughs> see like, that ads that kid went in that photo that's amazing it's that was amazing <laughs> I never and, and it was polished yeah it's beautiful yeah uh, and the, if the original, there's a really good quality picture at, at the uh, uh, Nevis Flores uh, Library. Uh, I don't know if it's on display, but it, it's a really good quality picture. And you, you can see the polished ads very well. And uh, yeah, e, and, and now speaking of Hornbostel, uh, Epau is one of the places where he, he took the laddie out. And it's huge. It's, it's, it's one of the nicer laddie of the islands. And just, How many just take, taken. Uh, it's unclear uh, which which one he he documented really well about the map of what they looked like 
and he drew he did drawings and photographs. Did good work in some ways. But then in other ways, say what was children to collect artifacts and he give them movie tickets. He already had hundreds of artifacts from excavations with context, with information, and, and with knowing about, you know, they came from here, they came from this, this laddie, they came from this burial context, right? We, we, that's very well documented. But then, so he didn't need to do that other stuff. So why, why, why did he ruin, you know, his, his work that way? Same thing with taking the laddie and taking the the pet, the pictograph, you know, from the cave and and shipping it off to the Bishop Museum. It's like you don't need to do that. Why, why did you do that? We we had you had really good information documented. So it's just it's to me it's just like one of these strange things about horn fossil. Uh, but that's you got to you got to take it all take it all uh, as part of the package of. You know, like us today, I mean, none of us is perfect, right? We all, we all make mistakes and do, you know, we do things we wish we didn't do, but we also do some good things, I would hope. And so I, I try to think of Hornbostel in the same way that, yeah, he did some really good things of documenting, you know, the archaeology for the first time, but he, he also did some things that, you know, he shouldn't have done. It's too late. I heard a horrible story yeah. that, he, that he used to tip the Laddie Stones uh, that or, or he had tipped a laddie stone just to prove that there was no uh, that there was nothing to ancient Chamorro spirituality. Now I don't know how true that was, and I, know. I don't know if that I, I I couldn't imagine how that wouldn't come back to haunt him somehow if he if that had really happened. But you know, hmm. just looking at hearing that story years ago and then finding out that he was just taking these artifacts and you know, all. I wonder if he was it, it with his mindset is these have to be preserved or can I make a lot of money from this? Know. I, I really don't know. Uh, yeah, but he, he suffered later in his life. So whatever, you, you know, his story is, uh, no. uh, so he was, he was, uh, uh, captured during world war II. So he was on, in the Batana's death march, you know, camp in the, in the Philippines, Whoa. uh, but he survived. And then after the war, his wife, uh, Trudy or Gertrude, uh, contracted leprosy. So she was sent to a leper colony. And then Hans said, you know what? I'm going to go with you to the leper colony. And he didn't have le leprosy or, or Hansen's disease, I should say. Uh, so, but he went there and died there. Yeah. Wow. In the, in the colony. So wow. he, he suffered, you know, later in his life. Uh, but... And you wonder, you know, is that something coming back to get him? Or, did or, it, or I wonder if he decided to follow his wife in regret of what he had done, surviving. In, in, in a Disney movie, he would have, he would have, in, in, by surviving the war, he would have, he would have, uh, he would have um, re regretted what he had done here in the islands and that he decided to choose love over self in a home, in, in, in a great yeah. story, just like a, yeah, and, and some sort of effort at, at uh, acknowledgement of, of his wrongs and trying to seek redemption, right? We, we'd like to believe that, right? I, I would like to believe that. We'd like to believe uh, that, but then unfortunately suffering a very painful death at the hands of whatever decision he made. But yeah, yeah, so really interesting life uh, of his. But uh, 
the thing that so the 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 horn fossil notes um are uh, just this treasure trove of information it takes some work to get through them uh but there are many of oh, oh there's there's hundreds and hundreds of pages <laughs> it's is he, he has mapped is anybody okay uh, so he did that in the 1920s and then the bishop museum hired uh laura thompson to go through his notes and the collections to write to write the, uh, the formal publication so that was in the 1930s so that's uh laura thompson's archaeology of guam i believe and then she wrote she wrote a number of other things as well about guam and guam's people uh very influential at the time so that was no her job was to make the formal publication of horn fossils work uh so it did so that that does exist but honestly you need to look at the original <laughs> notes because there's so much more information in there uh, wow. maps diagrams uh pictures his own illustrations of things uh every artifact is numbered from the excavations every artifact is numbered and cataloged these things like that he asked the, the children to collect is not even mentioned uh in in his notes so wow. this is a this is a mystery you know it's that like there's like no information in his notes about that part well now is there okay i mean being an archaeologist i'm sure and associating with the archaeologists was he with his collection a large topic of conversation uh yes yes because that was the first like formal collection of artifacts from from the region and the next work that was done that that people just forget forget about it for some weird reason was uh alexander spore also from bishop museum came out and he did not work in guam at all he never even stopped in guam he worked in the c in what we now call the cnmi but this was the right after world war ii uh, so he worked in rota tinny and two excavate excavate in the proper way you know by layers and levels whoops internet is unstable uh is the internet okay now sorry okay there's you good. Lost me good there. now. you lost you for a little bit but okay uh you're talking okay so he came so he excavated yeah, on, uh, so alexander, alexander spore right yeah wrote a tinian in saipan and he was the first archaeologist uh to excavate what we would call in a proper way you know in a modern sense like by layers and levels and understanding that things changed through time and he and and in the 1950s radiocarbon dating was invented and and he delayed publishing his findings so that he could include some of the world's first radiocarbon dates uh from the mariana and they're from the mariana island We'll lost you again there, Doc. On pause. And that's how we know. Is it working again? Yeah. We okay. got we got we got you at that's how we know. <laughs> oh, okay, 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 okay. And we lost you uh, about like for about 30 seconds yeah. prior. Shut so, it sounded so great. So, uh, Alexander Spore's work uh right after World War II. was very influential for being the first that were from the Mariana Islands even and we know that the dates go back at least as early as 1000 BC so more than 3000 years old 
that's some of the first archaeology ever done in the region, already establishing uh, that age depth at a very, very early uh, time. So since the, and that was published in 1957 by Alexander Spohr, uh, and it's like the archaeology of the Marianas. But in Guam, we don't talk about it, right? <laughs> it's like, you, this may be the first time many people have heard about it <laughs> that I'm telling wow. you now. And, but I would say if you want to know archaeology of the, the region as a whole, then Hornbostel is not really the best. The, the best collection and the best documentation from early on would be Alexander Spohr's work. And so it was published in 1957. And he, he also looked through Hornbostel's notes and felt he, he, he's, he was, you know, a little, he was polite in his writing. He never said anything bad uh, about anybody, but he, you, you, if you read between the lines that you know, oh, he, he didn't really have too much respect for Hornbostel's work. But that being said, he did go through Hornbostel's work and try to find the places in Tinian and in Rota and in Saipan where Hornbostel, Hornbostel worked there too, right? Not just in Guam. So he followed up you know, tried to find the places and expand on his work and do more. It was just the right, the right way to do it. So Hornbosso went and he repeated that, those same techniques of artifact collection out there in the CNMI. That's right. And it's just this uh, um, thousands and thousands of artifacts and some of the most important uh, Lati sites and cave sites. Uh, of the region. And he did that at a time, remember the 1920s, before World War II. So before many of these caves were, were you know, occupied as, you know, by Japanese hiding in them or by, or destroyed by the Americans looking for Japanese hiding in the caves. So ca cave archaeology is extremely important because they are, for, for, for two reasons. One, is the cultural side that these are special places that caves always are special places. right so you find and learn caves that you cannot learn uh, in any other place right because people used their house sites or laddie houses differently than the way they use their caves right caves are meant for something different and special so you you, you learn different things there Yes, exactly. Yes. Yeah, so whatever that ceremony was, right, whatever the ritual was, it was different from daily life. So that's, that's one thing that's very, very important about caves. And the other thing is the way things are preserved in caves is different than what's preserved out in the open, right? So you, you learn a different spectrum of material findings in caves. Now, because of what happened during and after World War II, a significant amount of the cave archaeology in the Marianas was lost. So Hornbostel's work in the 1920s would have been before giving us some baseline documentation that, that is just not possible now. Uh, and unfortunately, <laughs> that is not the way most of us would want to do it today. So by the time Alexander Spohr came around just after World War II, he did find a few caves in, in Saipan, uh, especially. Also, there's the one large, large cave in, in Rota uh, where he said, yes, there's still some good potential. We, we have some in Guam, too, that are still good potential for caves. 
but just not it's not actually sorry uh internet is unstable but okay um, there we are again yeah so we we just need need to you know treat what we do have respectfully you know and acknowledge that uh uh, th these are precious pieces of information that we gain uh, from the cave sites, as, as well as from every site, but especially this. The caves, because they are these ceremonies, a glimpse into something that really was special, you know, is, is not an everyday occurrence that these things we're seeing at, at the caves. So, yeah, I would like to do more, more work in there. And Hornbossel's work, you look at it, what, what, and what he was doing in caves was specifically trying to find Chamorro ancient skulls. You know, like where did people hide their skulls in ancient times? That's why he was excavating in caves. And it's kind of like, who does that? <laughs> right? But, but he did. And uh, really, uh, just the, the mindset is something we twisted. We, we just can't understand today. We, we can't understand it. You know, his, his idea was when the, the Jesuit, you know, Spanish were, were here like the right away in the 1600s were trying to eradicate more religious beliefs and trying to, because the, the previous religion would have been revering the skulls as, as parts, reminders of ancestors, either at the house or in these caves. That, that seems to be, you know, part of what happened. Uh, according according to the legends and the family histories, as, as well as the archaeology, is giving us some glimpse into that. So, and Hornb also caught on to it and said, oh, I should go into the caves and find as many skulls as I can. And they said, okay, then what did you do with them? And, and, or did you study and identify that these are families? Are they related with each other? Are they all buried at once are they buried over periods of hundreds of years we don't know now have those skulls so, been recovered yes uh so everything the human remains from guam uh were returned actually quite a long time ago more than 20 years ago uh the guam uh historic preservation office at that time did not request back the other artifacts or the notes <laughs> for some reason so they never came back for the cnmi they requested everything the the human remains artifacts and the notes and said you don't give us back anything until you co you coordinate all of hornbossel's notes with each artifact and that's what they did at the bishop museum so every artifact that they returned to the cnmi is coded with hornbossel's notes because they asked Wow. Uh, so, so it was done. Uh, for whatever reasons in Guam, maybe people didn't know that they could ask, but they, they didn't ask. So they got back only the human remains with no notes or information about them and no none of the artifacts either. And these and, uh, will be available for viewing in the suppository? Uh, uh, no, no, no. Uh, the human remains will go directly to the the reburial monument I forget the formal name the Naftan Naftan yes people just abbreviate it and they call it the Naftan that that's that's incorrect it's, it's a much it's, it's a longer name and I can't okay remember, but that's just an abbreviation let's call it the Naftan okay. monument for now uh, that yeah that will be the place where 
where the barrows go. So they won't be moved multiple times. They'll just move once into their, into the. Well, hopefully. Intended destination. So that, that's, that's what will happen uh, for everything general. Hotels had burials that were removed, right? And they need to have a reburial monument. Then those remains will, will go back to there. They, not, nothing will go to the cultural repository uh, because why, why would you move, move them multiple times, right? Just, just move them the one time uh, to their final resting place. Uh, nice. Which hope, which hopefully is their original resting place, right? Hopefully, yeah, well. if that's if that's possible, but other otherwise it will go go to the the Naftan monument when Guam Museum. Uh, okay, we're losing you again there. Is now in process of getting back. connected again. Are we connected? There, yeah, there you go. Like got it. you. So, yeah, the the uh, Guam Museum now needs to restart the negotiation with Bishop Museum to return all of the artifacts and the notes that go with the artifacts, as well as the burial remains. And then there's this extra layer of all of the adzes and slingstones and artifacts that children collected for their movie tickets. <laughs> There's thousands of them. Uh, and then the issue of the laddie that were taken and the, the pictograph that was, was removed from Talapopo. It's like, those, those need to come back too. Uh, so Guam has these extra uh, issues. And although Hohenbosco did about sorry lost you again there for a bit in in the northern yeah i was going to say yeah the the level of work that horn Bossel did was most intensive in in guam so like most of the issues are in guam uh with the collections and he did the same things, but to a much lesser extent in the Northern Marianas. So the Northern Marianas had an easier time about getting things back and getting the information back. Uh, in Guam, getting that information back and correlated is a much, much larger task and very complicated. When I, even, even those things that Hornbostel documented well like he has maps and numbers and the number and a numbered list of artifacts. Even with that, you'll find some problems and inconsistencies that the numbers don't add up or they don't match, right? So there's some things that went wrong here and there. So there's still issues of how to deal with that. And when they do come back, uh, the, the cultural repository would be the place for, for the, like the storage. And hopefully, uh, Guam Museum would develop uh, a kind of exhibit for the public to come learn the two things. One, the history of Hornbostel's work. You know, what did he do? And second is, what can we learn from the work? You know, what 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 did Hornbostel give us in terms of knowledge uh, that we did not know uh, otherwise? You know, did he give us something uh, about 
the the lati or about ancient sites that you know, from the 1920s you know at a time like i said before world war ii before these you know many things were were impacted or destroyed did he give us a record that is useful for us now you know and and what is it right so i would hope we'll, we'll see an exhibit like that at guam museum uh i imagine that's what they're thinking as well is uh, how can how can we translate this into something good for the public and then in, and then the, the the pictograph that was removed from telefofo that would be difficult you, you can't really put it back but uh there may be ways to to recreate or re-stabilize re uh that area uh, to, to put it back in its context and then as for the laddie that were taken from Yipau, they can't go back to their exact location because, well, partly because we don't know exactly, but, but the other part is there's been some, so much development around uh, the Yipau area. Uh, but that they, can, they can go back to somewhere around there or, or to another respectable place. Lost you there. Oh, sorry, Doc, we lost you for a bit here again. So I, I, I see that as, okay, you tell me when we come back. Oh, okay, looks like, back. looks like we're, looks like. Stay. I don't know what's happening on my side, but I... who's the who is that? No, who is the internet provider at the mark? Okay. Yeah. No. Well, this this is the UOG internet. So, uh, but my uh, it says my yeah it says my connection is weak. So anyway, whatever. Uh, yeah, so I, I see these things with Hornbossel as like opportunities for us to. Go on. Build on, uh, make it into something good. Yeah, I think, you know, uh, if anything, so yeah, that as, as, as just like a, a mere observer, if I look at Hornbossel's things and if, and if there's anything I can learn from it, it's, it's uh, something that we shouldn't repeat. You know, so for exactly. <laughs> everybody out there who might be uh, holding an artifact, of course, you know, I don't think that the all all, all the uh, I don't think that all the involved agencies are well staffed enough to be able to process everything properly. But I I think on, on at the bare level, I encourage them instead of those that hold their artifacts like prizes, private prizes that you only tell for those that are deserving is to at least share the information everything that you know about these artifacts because I, it, it, it is it is a very you know like yeah like you said hornbossel after and then after he took all the small artifacts the war came and blew up the big artifacts you know or, exactly 
all this destruction and but but the fact that there are still artifacts in Tuman right now you know but you know what's really on, interesting the, the very day after your after the seminar after your webinar mm -hmm. i went down there that evening to the to Tuman and right there on Fujita road and, and and the water had come down the rains were heavy the water had come down and then i came across right there on next to where that blue trash can is came across yeah, yeah, what looked it. like a, a a tossa a small tossa so the next day i'm thinking of course my instinct is saying hey take this or whatever but that very next day because of in wake of the conversation uh the the, the your presentation said okay tell you what i'm <laughs> going to call the oh hpo yeah. and let them know about yeah. this artifact yeah, yeah. Cop, you know? cop, cop. <laughs> You still there? Can tell them, uh, tell them what you found. Huh? Okay. Yeah, you're back. Hello. Yes. Still kind of. Yes. Well, sorry about that. So, so what happened? What, what did they decide? Well, first, they what they did the is they. You know, because like you're busy. First, uh, they didn't get back to me until two days later. You know, <laughs> and then I, but you know, as I was going back, I wanted to show where it was at, but I'd seen it's right there when people are driving to the beach, they drive right past that area. So I, was, I, I came down there and then that following morning, I came down there, I looked at it and I said, hey, I can't let this one go. This is gonna be, so I, I took a video of where we had recovered it and took all the details there and then removed the stone, protected it, kept it at the shop or kept it at, the, at my place of work. And then, uh, and then brought down Pat Luhan himself came down and he was able to take uh, pictures, Excellent. document the place. And then we turned the, we turned the stone over to the HPO. So just followed that course. Now what they're going to do with it, I'm not too sure. But, you know, I did hear in the conversation, they do have a small team. There's mountains and mountains of unspoken of artifacts, you know, so, mm -hmm. but at least for that one, that one felt like, okay. I mean, it, it was really, you know, it was like almost, it was one of those stories of a slingstone rolling into somebody's hand. It was one of those kind yeah. of magical mm -hmm. stories, but at least it bridged the gap with the HBO. And then- Yes, yes, I, got, them, I, got them involved. I've also I've also requested their information for their Tumon collection, but they were already over free over excess with work, and they were yep. they had a they are overburdened with work, so I didn't hear back from them for quite a while for a bit, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Maybe a couple weeks, but in the course of that, I went to the mark. Right visited the mark and said okay do you guys happen to have any notes on Tumon and then the fantastic staff came down there and They're said yeah. okay come back tomorrow because why because we still have to get everything that had well you know they showed some documents but they knew that they had to collect more and more yeah. information but yeah, they, they already they, broke. yeah they, they just need time to find it yeah. and carry it and out like, you know, they, they said, can hey, give you they can give you a few, a few things right away, like within a few minutes. But yes. the rest of it, it's like, hey. You know what? I, I actually remember now. I think I have, uh, 
I think I have, I think they still have the books waiting for me because I was supposed to come back for a third day of back tomorrow. <laughs> we'll get everything for you. Okay. Internet is unstable. Uh, 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 my internet is unstable, it's telling me. Uh, but anyway, I, I can hear you. So yeah, come back, come back to, to finish finish what you started. And, yeah, I'll come back and, and as, finish as what you started. As, as you experienced for yourself, the, the Mark Library is, is a very good resource. Uh, and it, it, is, it is meant for the public to use. So people should, should feel comfortable uh, and, and just understand that the, the staff will help. You know, they yeah, will find things. They were, they were tremendous. <laughs> so, uh, it's not like these are, are top secret documents or something. <laughs> I mean, they're meant for people to access. And if you want digital versions, then, then, then ask for that as well. Um, because that that is possible for for many uh, of the items that you can you can obtain the digital copy. Uh, just need to ask, and yeah, there, there's we have this is a good, really good team uh, at work there every day. So yeah, a, yeah, a good use there, there was it. even free sandwiches when, when the day that we went down it was pretty cool. <laughs> now, it wasn't because of that. I think we might have intersected on somebody's birthday party, but it was. But it was like, yeah, yeah, but we couldn't eat it in the floor. Oh, wait, wait, wait. Eat on the floor. But yeah, fantastic. It's a, it's a pretty good chance of uh, good food to eat on, on any day. <laughs> 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 you just got to keep it out, out of the collection. Just go to the, the lunchroom in the common room area. Okay. Not in the, don't eat in the collection area. Yeah, um, yeah, I know. I'll, oh I'll, take, I'll, I'll take note of that. But yes. I will be visiting the mark again. I'll make sure to nice. give you a holler. I know. Yeah, please thank do. you, Doc, please for do. your for your time. Man, yeah. would there be anything you would be able? I mean, in terms of prehistorical tomorrow, would there would there be like a uh, an, an ending statement that you might be able to close this? Close this uh, yeah, topic? I would say uh, Tumon is one of the places uh, of Guam, the Marianas, where we have learned so much about how the natural and cultural history are, are connected. And there's so much to learn. So whatever is interesting to you to learn about what happened with the environment, what happened with you know, coastal habitats, what happened with uh, forests and birds, or what happened with artifacts, styles of houses, all those different kinds of questions, Tumon is one of the places where you can learn about it. And all of that information goes into the Tumon that we know today, and it helps us understand, you know, how we got to be where we are, and maybe give us some About you know how to manage. Okay, Lucia. Whoops, looks like internet is lost. Is internet well, lost again? Yeah. Oh, okay. Oh, it sounded when it was getting like really, really. It was really interesting throughout the whole way. But yes, that was. But yes, Doc, we will catch up again. Maybe uh, when I get back, we do appreciate uh, everything that you've uh, shared with us, and we uh, furthermore we appreciate the work that you're doing. There is a great excitement from the community that are excited with the work that you're doing so 
you know, maybe even for those who are a great familiar faces that attended the conference. But, you know, I think the ripple effect of that is uh, it's fantastic. Yep. It's fantastic. Episode's over. Please let us know what you think about this episode. And if you haven't, please subscribe to the Fucka and the Force podcast. Sign a mossy.